If you have your scriptures, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1 this morning. There's a few Bibles that you can use as well. At this point uh, in the story, it's certainly hard to be um, critical of the disciples or the apostles, if we can even say that. Uh, they have been uh, particularly attentive to the teachings uh, of Christ, particularly post-resurrection, uh, in light of his resurrection. Everything he said has come true in a miraculous way. Uh, you see them uh, meeting with him and watching him ascend up on high. Uh, we read about them meeting together in, in prayer. Uh, how are we going to find another uh, apostle, another disciple to complete, uh, to be at 12 we see them, uh, particularly Peter, uh, ministering with great power uh, during the time of Pentecost, Holy Spirit descending in that miraculous and, and um, uh, effective way, and uh, many coming to faith in Christ. We see them beginning to lead the church in, in devotion uh, to the teaching of the apostles, the teaching uh, of the, the scriptures as, as they've been fulfilled in Christ. Uh, when they begin to take their message out, uh, more so, and begin to get a, a bigger stage, uh, there's pushback uh, from the religious leaders, and they endure that. Instead of saying, you know what, we're going to listen to what they say, we're not going to talk about Jesus anymore, they pray for boldness, they pray for faithfulness, and God blesses them uh, in many ways, in miraculous ways. And though, though it's hard to be uh, critical, however, as we look at them and we think about what Jesus instructed to them in the beginning of, of chapter 1, to bring this gospel to Jerusalem, which they've done. It, in chapter 5, I believe, it's the Jerusalem is described as being filled with the teaching of Jesus. Yet, they're not bringing it out. We don't see plans to, to see that gospel go out beyond Jerusalem into Samaria, Judea, and to the outermost parts. We don't see that happening until we get to chapter 8, until we see what's happening uh, to them and how they're responding so in light of that, let's stand and let's read God's word as you're able. Uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 25. Hear God's word to us. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to him for what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news, of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. Verse 14. 
When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They arrived. They prayed for the new believers. They were that were there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Verse 25, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the good news in many Samaritan villages. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father, there's a lot going on in this story, in this passage. There's a lot uh, transpiring. And we pray in these moments that you would give us ears to hear the richness and fullness of it all. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated. As I think about uh, my years in my 20s and being single... That was a long time ago, it seems, and there's a lot of stuff that went down during that period that I could never imagine doing now uh, because I'm married and I've got two children and life is is completely different. And one of those things I remember doing uh, pretty clearly was taking a mission trip uh, to Belarus. Belarus. If you've never heard of Belarus, it just makes you normal. Think uh, Russia, think former Soviet uh, Republic uh, there. And we were in the big city of Minsk, their capital city huge city. We were there for about eight weeks and there with a a number of college students, probably about 20 of us uh, all together. And our time there was spent uh, hanging out with college students, uh, speaking to those that spoke English. Uh, There were a lot more than maybe you could imagine that spoke English, not like they could host a radio program in English kind of speaking well, but they knew enough to have a conversation with and talk and and carry on, and we would just talk to them many times, most of the time talking about the gospel, talking about Christianity, and uh, what they thought about that and where they are at uh, with that. And like I said, we've been there for about eight weeks, and we weren't the first group to do this trip. They've been doing this trip for uh, a number of years, two or three years at least. But while we were there that summer, they said to us, the powers that be, they said, you know, we want to do this trip in, in different places. We want to see if there's other cities, other places in Belarus that we can go to and have a, a summer project like this. And so they said to us, so we want to divide you up into three groups and we want you to go out and explore these other cities and see what it would look like. Kind of do some, some groundwork and, and see what it would be like to do ministry there. And when we heard this, and when I heard this, I was like, this is great. This is so much fun. We get to explore another part of the country that we've never been to and check things out. This will be a lot of fun. But at the same time, I was terrified because we get to go to another part of the country that we've never been to and check things out. And as you can imagine, the big barrier to that, if you will, was we don't know the language. We're just a bunch of 
uh, immature 20-somethings and 17, 18, 19-year-olds here in this foreign place, we don't know the language. And being able to communicate and talk rightly is a big deal. We could ask for the bathroom, and we could say thank you and excuse me, but that was about it uh, to our Russian. And I bring this up because as we think about the gospel, as we think about God's word in our life, we have to hear it to comprehend it. We have to understand it for it to get traction in our hearts, in our lives. For For it to be real to us, we have to hear it. And to understand it, not just the words, but it has to, we have to hear it in the sense of understanding it and comprehending it. Think about it uh, like this another example. Sometimes we'll have movie night in our home, and uh, we're all gathered around there in the living room watching a, a movie. And sometimes there'll be a scene that comes on, typically it's tipped off by the music, and uh, that's coming in, something scary is kind of happening there. And sometimes somebody in our family will close their ears or cover their ears and close their eyes. And sometimes they'll get out of the, they'll leave the room. And I know they don't like doing this because they don't want to miss out, but it's scary and they don't want to, to see this. And so we'll, we'll reason with them. Okay. Reason always works with young children, right? We'll say, this is not real. Okay. That a, a couple minutes ago before they filmed this scene, they were having lunch together. Okay. This is not real. It's just a movie. You don't have to be really scared, but they won't hear us. It won't make sense to them because of their fear. Their fear is a barrier to understanding and really hearing these words. In this passage, what I want to look at is how the gospel is heard, how it's received. And I want to think about the barriers that are in place from things we see in this passage and things in our own lives that keep us from fully hearing the gospel or hearing God's word where it makes sense to us and it gets traction and we actually believe it. Five times in this passage or in chapter 8 of Acts, the word preach is mentioned. And the Greek word for preach is where we get our word for evangelism. And so hearing the word is a big deal. Comprehending the word is a big deal. But sometimes there's barriers to really hearing the word. And there's three things or three barriers I want us to think about as we move through this passage. Threats, distractions, and ourselves. Those are the three barriers I think we see here. Threats, distraction, and ourselves that keep us from really hearing God's word where we're actually following it, believing it, and and trusting it. So the first one is, is threats. Think about the beginning of this passage and what's going on. When we get to this passage in verse 1, starting in verse 1, it's about persecution. Uh, Stephen has just been martyred, and in response to that, the church is scattering. It's separating from itself. It seems that the apostles are staying in town for whatever reason, but many of the disciples, many of the church members uh, are leaving town. Uh, They're kind of going underground, and they're they're moving out of uh, Jerusalem. And as they move... And as they leave and as they scatter, they're not keeping the, the gospel to themselves, but they're talking about it. They're sharing it. They're communicating it with other people as they, as they see them. And so this persecution may be real, but the gospel is still real, and they're still talking about it and, and spreading it as they move forward. But go back and think about we're looking for barriers. What are some of the barriers that keep us from hearing the gospel, uh, for getting traction in our lives? 
and put yourself in this situation of the, of the early church. You're hearing about the good news. You're hearing about scripture, hearing about this Messiah, resurrection, all this kind of stuff. And then you see persecution come. And you begin to think, okay, this does not sound like good news. Okay, if I believe in Jesus and if I follow him, I'm going to be persecution, persecuted. Uh, I'm going to be threatened. I'm going to be marginalized. Life may not go well for me. And you begin to put together, it's like, I'm not sure I want to believe this gospel. I'm not sure I really want to hear this and follow this. And that's the first barrier, I think, to hearing the gospel in our lives and sometimes something that we struggle, struggle through. The gospel of God does not seem worth it to us if things are going to bring, be difficult. If believing God's word and believing the gospel brings difficulty, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm not sure I, I really believe that much in the truth of who God is. Because we reason in our minds is, if I believe this, then I'm going to lose control. And if I lose control, that means that something may happen in my life that I don't want, that I may not like, and it may not go well for me. And so I'm not sure I want to participate in this. It's a barrier that we experience as we think about actually believing God's word and being obedient and seeing some of the promises that are there. What is that going to be meaning for me? I'm not sure I really love him that much. How do we get through that barrier? How do we move past that? Well, the answer is basically the cross. And when I say cross, I think about, I'm saying, think about the the pattern of the cross as a principle. And here's what I mean. Persecution is going out. uh, And these Christians are going forth. It's kind of underground and it's kind of scattered. But they still have the gospel with them and they're still sharing it. Even though they're being threatened even though they are believers and it feels all doom and gloom, so to speak, that their lives are completely upside down because now these religious leaders, these religious authorities are threatening them with with death or with prison. You've got Paul or Saul roaming the streets, so to speak, looking for people to imprison, dragging people off. And yet God uses these threats, this discord, this suffering, this difficulty, and what does he do with it? He brings life. It's the pattern of the cross. The cross brings death, brings suffering, but at the same time it brings life and truth and all that God is for us in our lives. So think about your life, your difficulties, the things you're struggling with, you're suffering through. Maybe God's using that difficulty, that trouble, that hard relationship, that situation where it seems like it's a no-win situation. He's going to use that to bring life. To bring resurrection life into your world. And so as you think about that barrier of, I don't know if I want to give him control because I'll be out of control and bad things may happen. Think about the principle of the cross. Through difficulty, through trial, through suffering, he brings new life. He brings resurrection life. That's the first barrier. The second barrier is distractions. Distractions can serve as a barrier from keeping us from the gospel. Think about the story of Philip. Philip goes to uh, Samaria. Disciples are scattered, and we get the highlight of Philip. Philip is not new to us. We saw him introduced to us in chapter 6 of Acts as one of these godly men that fulfill this new position of leadership. And Philip finds himself in Samaria. And the fact that he goes to Samaria is a big deal. 
because Samaria and uh, Jews never got along. Uh, if you were to ask, I bet if you were to ask Philip before he became a Christian, as we would call it, before he believed the gospel and this, all this stuff of the Messiah, that you asked him about the Samarians, he thought they are hopeless, they are worthless people. And yet, not only is the gospel going to a new region or a new territory, but the gospel is going to this particular people group that nobody would have thought of as being worthy of reaching out and loving upon. And yet Philip goes there. And when he gets there, he finds that the city is characterized by this influence that's there, this magic influence of Simon. And we see it has a real strong presence there. Twice in this passage, I think in verse 10 and 11, it says that that the city seemed to pay attention to Simon. There was something special about him and what he was doing. But when Philip comes and begins to practice what we might call today a a word and deed ministry, he brings healing, uh, he meets people's physical needs, but he also brings a teaching ministry. He talks about the gospel, he shares about the kingdom of God, shares about Jesus and the resurrection And it brings real change. It brings real transformation there. No longer are they paying attention to Simon, but they're paying attention to the gospel and to God and what the message that Philip is bringing to them. And here's the the thing about this passage. We read about Simon, uh, the sorcerer, or Simon, the magician, and the, the weight and clout that he had in that community. And we think, that just seems so bizarre. It seems so silly. How could they believe in magic like this? How could they, how could he, I mean, I get maybe pockets of people believing that way, but it seems like the whole town, this whole community was really into what Simon, or yeah, what Simon was about and what he was doing. And we think we would never do that kind of stuff. It's like, well, yes, not many of us are probably distracted by magic and its influence, but it doesn't mean that there's not other distractions in our lives that keep us from really hearing the gospel and hearing its promises, and hearing its truth that speak to our hearts and our minds. Think about it like this. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? What does your mind become preoccupied with? When you have idle time, when you're not working and carrying out a specific task, you're not watching something, you're in the car, the radio's off, what do you think of? What occupies that space of time? Maybe there's a relationship that you go to. Maybe there's a difficulty that's out there that, that just seems so consuming. Maybe it's something good, a great vacation or a great thing you're looking forward to doing. All those things can distract us and hold our attention, and they keep us from really hearing the gospel, hearing God's word, hearing his promises to us, hearing what he wants to do in and through our lives. And you may be thinking, okay, well, how do I know if I'm distracted? Well, what's the test uh, for the people in Samaria? How do we know that they're not distracted anymore? They're paying attention to something else. They're paying attention to someone else. Jesus holds their attention now. His words of life and truth and resurrection, that holds weight in their hearts and their minds. Does Jesus hold your attention? When we're singing, when we're praying, are you thinking about who you're singing to and who you're praying to, or are you just going through the motions of it? Sometimes just the, we're just distracted, and that's a barrier from really hearing the gospel. The last thing that keeps us from really hearing is ourselves. 
The last thing that keeps us from hearing God and who he is is ourselves. And for that, we need to think a little bit more about Simon and how he responds to Philip and even how he responds to the apostles when they come to town to follow up on the ministry that's being done there. I don't think it's a stretch to say that for Simon, everything is about him. Uh, He's touting himself as he's the great one. He's the one that should have everybody's attention in this community. And so he is distracted by himself and who he is and his agenda and his priorities. It's all about what he wants to bring to the table. And I say this for a couple reasons. Look at, at verse 13. It says that Simon believed and he was baptized. That's a good response. That's a good thing. Uh, it says that he continued with Philip. He followed him in, in some shape or form. And he seems to be really interested in the Holy Spirit when you get to verse 19. He says to him, give me this power also. But then we hit a roadblock when he says to the apostles, here's a little money. I really want this Holy Spirit in my life. And that sets Peter off. Peter says to him in verse 21, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours. And pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What's going on here? Simon, he's hearing the gospel and he's understanding it on on some level. The other apostles come into town because they hear about the work of Philip there. And they're coming just to kind of follow up and and see what's, what's taking place there. And Simon sees this Holy Spirit being given. And he thinks about it in a professional way way. He thinks about it as if I had that power, if I had that spirit in my life, I could do what Philip's been doing and I could get the attention of this city again. See, he's thinking about it based upon his own agenda, his own priorities and what he wants to see happen in his own life. In light of this, you wonder if there's really any real change in his heart and in his life. Maybe. He's hearing it on some level. He's hearing the gospel on some level, but he's missing it in big ways. Because for Simon, what he sees the Holy Spirit as not a person, but he sees the Holy Spirit as an it. If I have this, if he gives me this, then it's going to meet my agenda, my priorities, and what I want to see happen for my own life, my own vision for my own life. In some way, in some shape or form, we can be just like Simon. In the sense that we can go to God not to uh, have him work according to his wisdom, his way, but we go to him because we want something from him. We want him to act and to work in a certain way according to our priorities, according to our agenda, according to our values. God, do this for me. We want to get something from God as opposed to give our lives to him and go to him and get him for simply for who he is in and above himself. And Peter has this conversation with him. I imagine it was an uncomfortable conversation. And Peter basically says to him, you need to repent. How does Simon respond to this little, respond to this little instruction that he's received? He says to Peter, will you pray for me? It's good to have people pray for you. We want to ask each other to pray for us. That's a good thing. But what I want to suggest to you is that what Peter, excuse me, what Simon is saying when he says, will you pray for me, is a cop-out. He should be the one praying. Peter, sure, Peter can pray for him, but the point is that, that Simon needs to repent. 
Simon needs to deal with his sin. Simon needs to, to, to go to God and relate to him and to, and to deal with him. And so if we're going to get past this barrier of ourselves, we have to deal with ourselves. We have to deal with our sin. When I say the barrier of ourselves, what I'm really saying is our own sin gets in the way of really seeing who God is. And so let me close with this. Think about these barriers to hearing the gospel. We've talked about the barrier of, of threats in the sense of I'll lose control and bad things will come to my life or things that I don't want to see happen in my life may be there. We've talked about distractions keep us from God. Other shiny stuff looks so much more pleasing than who God is. And finally, we've talked about ourselves, how we get in the way basically because of our sin. And we begin to think about what's the answer? How do I move past this? Well, in a nutshell, it's what Peter said to Simon. It's that word repent. And when I say repent, I don't mean, okay, I'm going to make a list of all the bad things I'm doing and I'm never going to do those things again. Okay, that may be valuable. But what I mean by repent, particularly from this passage, is accept the gift. Accept the gift that's been given to you. Philip goes into Samaria and he proclaims what? The good news. The good news of the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. And then Peter says later on, in response to Simon, he says, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. The gospel is a gift. And the way to get that gift is to receive it. And the way to receive that gift is to go to God with your barriers. With your concern that, God, if I follow you, if I really believe you, this is going to happen to me. God, there's other things in my life that look so much more appealing than you are. God, there's, there's my sin in my own life. You confess those things. You bring those things before him and let Christ be your substitute. Let him be the one that paid the penalty for those things. Maybe another example to help. Think about it like this. The passage in verse 8 talks about the city was filled with great joy. Uh, Philip goes into the city and great joy fills it as the gospel goes into it. And you think, okay, well, how did that happen? Well, Philip preached the good news. Okay, well, how did that happen? It's because the disciples were scattered. Well, how did that happen? It's because people, the church began to be persecuted. They were pushed out of their homes. They were scattered because of persecution, because of threats. That's why the city was filled with, with joy. Think about Jesus The reason that we can have joy is because Christ was scattered on the cross. He died on the cross. He was broken on the cross for us. And you let the truth and reality of that melt upon your heart, meditate upon that until you see inside it begins to change you. The distractions will not feel as distracting anymore. There'll be a sense of security. Yes, I may lose control, but that's okay. Yes, there's other things that vie for my time, but they can't compete with who you are and what you've done. And yes, I'm a mess. And I do silly things and I do foolish things and I respond in foolish ways. And often I'm thinking of myself more than anybody else. But the joy and reality of all that you are, because you were scattered for me, makes all the difference in the world. And that's when we really begin to hear the gospel. It gets traction in our hearts and our lives. We see it begin to change us.
Will you pray with me and ask that he would work this way? Father God, we come to you a mess. Uh, We may put on a good front. We may be able to uh, fake it and uh, present ourselves as as having it all together. But the reality is uh, that we are broken. And we desperately need you. We need you because we put up all kinds of walls, all kinds of other things that we'd rather look to. And we'd rather fix ourselves and manage ourselves, manage our own sin and schedules and lives. And we fail just to come to you. Come to you with our honesty. Come to you with our brokenness. And come asking that you would heal us. You were scattered for us. We pray that that would fill us with great joy, that you would love us so. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.